It's time to know your soul. Are you seeking the you within? Has people pleasing stressed you out? It's time to find your light so you can share your entrepreneurial gifts with the world. Well, Red Rover on over. But the only thing you're breaking through is yourself. This is Soul Amplified. Are you ready? Hello, and welcome to the Soul Amplified podcast. I'm Vanessa Grace, your host. Today, we have the delightful Danielle Serank with us. She is a medium, and her business is Squamish Medium. And I'm going to let Danielle tell you, my lovely listeners, more about herself and her business. No worries. Hi, yeah, as uh, Vanessa mentioned, my name is Danielle Serank, also known as the Squamish Medium. I am First Nations, uh, Swampy Cree First Nations of Canada. I live in the gorgeous mountain and oceanfront town called Squamish, British Columbia. It's beautiful. I have been a practicing and developing medium for the past seven years. I went full-time in my practice January of 2020. So I'm celebrating one year full-time. I have two little babies and a very skeptical husband who doesn't believe in mediumship, but believes in me. (laughs) Oh, that's an interesting combo. Yeah. Yeah. And just living my best life. I just chose to live a life of joy and I'm living that every single day uh, within my practice. So it's just a bit about me. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I'm really curious, how did spirituality in general develop for you? How did that path open up for you? Yeah, so I the mediumship specifically opened up after the birth of my first daughter uh, when I was 31 years old. And it was just a series of synchronistic events where I got tickets to a reading, a big group reading with 100 people there in my little town of Squamish. And I was the first one to get read for. And I ended up um, having a private reading with that medium who said I was a medium, which I had actually been hearing my entire life, but I never believed it for one word. I just thought it was something every medium told every sitter. Because everyone said it to me and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm definitely not a medium because I was a a very troubled youth and I never thought angels or spirits would speak to me. (laughs) I'm laughing my ass over here, you guys. This is so funny that you've been hearing that from everybody, that that's what you're hearing. That's kind of how I start started mediumship, but the um, spiritual path for me opened up really young. Like I had a visitation by my spirit guide when I was seven years old um, and also just kind of premising that I did not grow up in a religious household at all. It was quite the opposite, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we didn't have any, you know, I didn't have any foundational beliefs about God or angels or spirit guides or nothing, but I did have an experience when I was seven that my spirit guide appeared to me as a boy. That was my age. My guide always appears to me as the same age as me. It's quite interesting all throughout my life. It's been phenomenal. Yeah. It's really cool. I can feel close because my head's just like shivering like crazy. Mm -hmm. And so that situation when I was seven got me on this really interesting spiritual path, very young. Um, I started attending every church in my neighborhood and my parents thought I was the biggest weirdo. I was like, I want to go to Sunday school. I want to go to Bible camp. I want to go to like a Jehovah church. And I was just so thirsty. I look back at my life thinking it was something to feel connected to. It was something um, ceremonial, so to speak, because also we weren't connected to our indigenous heritage because of the residential school system up here. 
which mm-hmm. my grandmother was a survivor of. So I wasn't even connected to my First Nations culture either. We were successfully assimilated uh, by the government of Canada. So I think as a young kid, I was just like yearning to feel connected to something. And I remember even going along my years and, you know, I started watching Sylvia Brown on TV. I'm pretty sure everyone watched her on Montel. You know, you're 90s, be right? Like <laughs> 80s, 90s. I saw Sylvia on Montel, the medium with the big nails. And I used to watch her every week. Um, and same oh with John gosh. Edwards, his show Crossing Over. And so it wasn't until I lost um, somebody in my life that I didn't think was a good person. It was like the first person I was like, you know, is there a hell? Um, Like what happens to somebody like this after they pass? And I was 17 years old at the time. And of course, I'd seen all these mediums on TV. So I started seeing mediums when I was 17. And this person has has didn't come through until I was in my 30s, by the way. But I kept getting these readings to kind of see if they would come through and like, did they make it? Or is there such thing as hell? It just, I was just so spiritually curious and every reader would say you're a medium and every reader I'm like no I'm not a medium like Al I've never seen spirit I've never talked to spirit totally forgetting about that experience when I was seven and not relating the two to one another um so I'd say I was like always spiritually curious there has been different markings throughout my life that have gotten me curious and thinking bigger thoughts but it wasn't until I was 31 I was in a solid marriage like life had settled homeowner, like just like no bumpy turbulence anymore that I actually had Mm -hmm. kind of like the capacity and the time and space to take this curiosity to the next level and fully develop. That's really fascinating that you rejected, you know, like what everyone was saying to you and you're like, no, no, it's not possible. It's not possible. Um, I'm just me. I'm just this regular person. I haven't had any experiences Um, what did you think about how a medium was like, quote unquote, picked? You're like, what was your assumption about why you couldn't be one? Well, the way that mediums talked about on TV is they kept saying, like, I see, I see, I see, I see. I'm like, I don't see anything. Like, you know, I've Mm. definitely had, you know, feelings and I've, I've had like different experiences through my life where I've been overcome with love all of a sudden. Like, why do I feel like crying? I just feel so loved in this moment. Like I've had these experiences, which is what I know now as a developed medium, that's the presence of spirit, but we all perceive spirit very differently. Um, All mediums do. And so because I kept seeing people call themselves clairvoyant and they see spirit and they see spirit, I'm like, I don't see spirit. Like I don't, I have like a couple of times in my life now Um, Mm -hmm. which is a very unnerving experience for me. So I actually asked them not to come to me in that way and they don't. But um, I just kept thinking like there was just like a handful of mediums out there. I had no idea it was like such a a big thing. Like I don't think I actually fully understood that until I was well into my development journey, how um, just regular people could connect with their loved ones. So you thought that the only way that mediums connected in was through vision the sight with the eyes and it was like that even for my first full year of development because the mentor I mentored under called herself a clairvoyant and kept talking about ccc and I'm like I just don't see anything um at all and still to this day it's not my preferred way to connect with spirit 
So I have a lot of lack mentality, a lot of insecurity when I was first starting to develop because I kept thinking it should be a different way. And it was actually the first time I connected with a spirit, which again, very long synchronistic experience. I don't need to explain, but it was just me and this one other woman in this class that got canceled, but the two of us showed up and my teacher just said, you know what, Danielle, just close your eyes and tell me what you feel. And uh, I could just feel this young man. I'm like, I just feel like there's a young man with me. And I think his name is Dustin. And the woman just grabbed me and she like grabbed both shoulders and she gasped because her son who just passed away was named Justin. And, you know, for me, I mean, I just knew the name. I didn't see it. I just felt the presence of a man like this young boy who was, you know, a teenager at the time. And I knew his age. And at that moment when she grabbed me, I was so scared. I couldn't even continue saying what I was receiving because I noticed um, the pain and the desperation in her eyes. And that was a very uh, pivotal moment in my development journey because it made me fully kind of understand, okay, I'm going to be working with broken hearts here. And I kind of like fully understood in that moment, the responsibility that uh, a medium has when they're connecting with people's Mm -hmm. loved ones. So I made a vow to myself in that moment. I'm a Virgo son, a bit of a perfectionist, but I was like, I am not going to like put myself out there until I know what I'm doing. And I Mm -hmm. waited three years of developing hundreds of practice readings before I put myself out there as a working medium. So you, um, I mean, that's really interesting that, she finally said a different word so that you could connect into it differently. She mm-hmm. asked you how you felt and that you had this deep realization of the truth of what it would mean to be a medium and that you were essentially going to be dealing with people who were in grief yes. and you were going to be helping them grieve. I mean, that's not the word you used, but that's kind of how it seems to me what you would be helping people do. That was my understanding of it at that time. Um, And the more that I connected with, you know, I became a mom and becoming a mom was really hard for me. It was a four year journey, lots of losses, a lot of trauma through that process. Mm -hmm. And when I connected with people who had lost children, the grief was a bit too thick for me. So I had to make a decision at some point in my development telling the world of spirit. I was like, I don't think I'm the right fit for these women because this is my worst nightmare actualized. And I get Mm. triggered in the process and, you know, I, I can't think clearly because of the, the grief. And so I actually had to make a decision for spirit saying, I think I would rather work with clients on X, Y, Z. And so, because I have such a strong connection with my spirit team, I have my whole life, they just listen. And so, you know, I'm able to actually refer some clients to others who are maybe more well-equipped with trauma-informed care or grief. It's like, as mediums, we can't pretend that we can help everybody. Right. And so I'm actually, be able to manifest my clients based off of my areas of interest. And so I'm a mm-hmm. teacher. I knew I wanted to teach mediumship the second I heard spiritual philosophy my, for my first time. So I tend to attract people who are just testing me out and then they want to end up developing or they're spiritually curious themselves. So it took me years to kind of iron that out because the grief because also I'd never experienced grief myself up until last September was the first time I ever experienced true grief. And Mm -hmm. so it was hard for me to serve people with deep, deep, deep grief, right? It was very hard for me. And very all encompassing. It is. And you know, I don't want to do more damage than good. And so I have to be Mm -hmm. real with myself as well and be really responsible. And I even went to end of life doula school and I'm a certified end of life doula. And that was an attempt for me to try to understand grief a little bit better because 
as a medium, you want to serve, right? Like you, you literally want to help people. And so we're constantly like, if you're a medium, that's like really in your integrity and you have strong ethics, you're always going to want to grow and evolve and learn how to serve yes. people in different capacities. Yes. And so that was a big driver for me to becoming an end of life doula was like, I want to understand grief and even reading all the books and like going through all the exercises, nothing prepared me for grief. And, you know, I mean, I think I had to postpone our interview because of my grief. It was very deep. And even yeah, I believe I have a pretty good idea where we go after this, all of us, and it still doesn't save you from grief yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm really excited to hear that you put so much focus into continuing to learn so that you didn't do harm. And so that you could figure out what do I actually want my specialties to be and to not be. I think when we start out on any career, we're like, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to serve everybody. And it just, um, it burns us out and we end up making mistakes because we don't know stuff. We don't know what we need to know, you know, whatever our, um, you know, like I'm a therapist, you're a medium, I'm a life coach. Like we all have our different area, but we want to make sure that we're not, harming people. <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty easy in my position because when people come to a psychic medium, I didn't understand this because I never experienced this myself sitting in the sitter seat, but people will listen to whatever you say. And mm -hmm. so I had also had to make boundaries around my psychic abilities where I'm not, and I will tell my clients this flat out. And sometimes I'm a bit unpopular because of this, but you know, I'm not the kind of medium who's going to tell you to leave a job or leave a relationship. Um, that's not my area of interest. I want to know why you want to give me your power. Like, I want to know why you can't make this decision for yourself and like what trigger mm -hmm. source in your mm -hmm. life have you had that disempowered you? Um, um, or that keeps you in this like state of fear. And so I was actually interviewed last year by the University of British Columbia psychology department because um, they kept seeing all these people go through grief and having such profound shifts through mediumship. And the way that I kind of phrased it to them, I said, if a medium is very much in their integrity, somebody who's grieving would only need to see medium once they would want to go to therapy be continuously to understand, you know, the inner workings of themselves, but to kind of get that evidence and that validation that life continues and their loved ones are fine. They would only have to go see a medium once like that's mm -hmm. it. Right. And a good medium right. will let them know, you know, your loved ones aren't here with me. You bring them to me and they're, they stay with you. They're traveling around with you. Right. And teaching mm -hmm. people how to connect with their energy themselves. In the world of mediumship, how are, ethics taught and developed? Well, it depends on the teacher. It depends on the teacher, right? Um, I've unfortunately have seen through my years, people who just take a class and then start to teach. Um, and then maybe they don't quite have the foundation. Maybe they haven't had a difficult client or somebody call them out and, you know, have all these kind of like interpersonal relationship issues with clients. Because I tell my students, you know, one half of the development path is learning how to connect with spirit and learning how to communicate on, be their, on their behalf and represent them. The other half is working with the public, right? And sometimes mm -hmm. people really lack the skill set of empathy, of like, in, like intelligence, like emotional intelligence. Like I'm a pretty yeah. bubbly person. If I'm working with somebody who's really grieving, I can't show up as this like, Ah, like everything's light and bright. You got to meet people energetically where they're at so that yes. they're safe and comfortable. Um, 
but those ethics, I think I've always had, I think I was born with a high level of emotional intelligence. I've always been able to read a room or have discernment if somebody's telling me the truth or not, but not everyone has that ability. So I do think that you learn your integrity and you learn your ethics as you go along the journey and as you have different experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, This is why I started my podcast um, spirit school, because I wanted to talk about the vulnerable side of the mediumship development journey, because I didn't have any teacher's prepare me to, you know, come back from a shitty reading or sorry, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Okay. Oh yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, or that the fact that we have imposter syndrome and like, am I even that good? Like, why am I comparing myself to this person? Mm -hmm. And why do I leave every reading feeling like I didn't do enough? Right. Like it wasn't good enough. And this is very common with mediumship and no one is talking about it. Like no one's talking about it really. And so that's a come, I started my podcast years ago when I had a full-time day job, I could be very fearless, be very vulnerable about, you know, the insecurities that come up with readers and the ethics and, you know, standing in your power in certain spiritual philosophies that you have um, years ago, because it was what I needed when I was first developing. So a lot of my ethics and my beliefs have just been through the experiences that I've had. And I do teach them to anyone who Mm -hmm. um, learns under me and any program, I have a whole area just on responsibilities of mediums and um, spiritual philosophy, because I think that is absolutely fundamental to any working medium Mm -hmm. is to not just parrot what they read in books or parrot what they hear other teachers say, but truly form their own spiritual beliefs and their own spiritual philosophies based off of their experiences. I think that's really beautiful. So are you um, in your business, are you doing more mediumship readings or are you doing more training mediums? Training. And that was unintended to be honest with you. I think it's just, Oh, isn't that the way of it? (laughs) It is. It's just, you know, um, I've, I started, you know, I developed 2013, 2014. I kind of was like a kitchen, witch. I say like, you would have had to have heard about me to get a reading with me. I only did them. I had two babies. Right. And so I only did them. Yeah. There wasn't time. There was no time. I would convince my non-believing husband to let me have like four hours, like one weekend a month. And I would try to cram in like four readings and everybody I gave a reading to two more would come. And I ended up having a year and a half wait list within my first year, no website, no nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I actually just did readings at my kitchen table for about three years. And then I started hosting an in-home development circle, but it wasn't a mediumship development circle. It was just intuitive studies. It was about the aura. It was about um, our energetic sovereignty because I'm sick of hearing out there that somebody's attached to them or, you know, energy vampires and stuff. And I'm just like, look, okay, you have sovereignty over your own energy. So I like teaching Mm -hmm. people to get out of that victim mode and be more empowered about their energy. So my development circles were so much more about that. But once I started my podcast, I mean, I won't say it took off right away because I recorded for almost a year before I told anyone I even had a podcast, like people would have had to have stumbled upon it or share it. Right. Cause I had to get over my own fears. I was heavily criticized by my teachers when I start launched my podcast about being too vulnerable and no one would want to work with me. And I was like, well, they're not my people and I have a day job, so it's okay. Right. Yeah. But then people from around the world started saying, will you mentor me? Like, will you mentor me? And this was in 2018. And I was like, yeah, of course. And, you know, I had mentored people in my home circle for a year and a half to this point, but they were very specific about mediumship development. So I actually had to, you know, learn how to teach people how I do what I do or, or, or how know 
like, what do I know? It's kind of hard mm-hmm. when you know how to do something, how to put it down into like little kind of steps. Yeah. To um, break it down. Like if you're like, like very proficient at something, you have to go back and remember the beginning and it's like autopilot. Like, okay, how do I break this down again? I just do it. Yeah. Well, and I had development journals like crazy, but I seem to only capture um, stories of the fear, like stories like I, I was so scared in this reading, I was so nervous, or, you know, I left this reading, I didn't feel very good. Like, so I kept capturing not only the amazing spiritual experiences I had with my guides, and, you know, just like meditating all the different th- experiences that I had, but I also captured a lot of what I was really worried about in those early years. So my podcast is really kind of stemmed off of my development journals. I was like, what was I worried about year one? Like, what are the, the thoughts mm-hmm. that came up in year two? And so I base a lot of my uh, podcast episodes on that, but to kind of answer your question over the, the years, I get way more people wanting, um, coaching and mentoring. I actually have people hiring because I'm a really good entrepreneur. (laughs) I never would have thought, but like I went full time. (laughs) Where did that come from? And I love entrepreneurship. And so I actually have a lot of people hiring me for spiritual entrepreneurship coaching and putting together packages and branding and podcast starting. I have people hire me just to help them launch podcasts because everyone likes the way I do mine because I just talk like this, much like you just talk very naturally. It's not Mm -hmm. super polished. It's not, you know, planned. We didn't plan for this. We just showed up. All right, let's just riff, right? Yeah, I think we picked like three topics, which were really, really, really fucking broad. And then we just did it. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's what people are just hungry for. We're hungry. We're so sick of the perfection. We're so sick of people teaching at you. And the way that I teach is an experiential. It's like, you know, I will tell my students like last week, I have this reading really difficult client. This is how I navigated it. So I'm not talking at them as if I haven't been there. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why people resonate with my teachings is because it's an experiential way of sharing it. And they like to hear about the struggles I still have, and I will still continue to share them. Um, yeah, because you're, you never you're real. stop having them. So I'd yeah, say it now just- at this point, about 90% of my clients um, are mentorship clients and I run programs. Now I have a monthly membership for mediumship development and yeah, waitlist like crazy, but it's definitely more mm-hmm. for mentorship. Okay. Um, what are some signs for people listening of what a medium might experience when they're like budding and like, wait, what's happening to me? What's going on here? So like in a sitting? No. Like, are they a medium? How does someone oh, know okay. if they're a medium? So everyone is a medium, like everyone, everyone has the ability and potential to connect with the world of spirit. We are all made up of the exact same cosmic makeup, like literally. So, but is everyone destined to be a working medium? No, that's probably part of your karma. That's part of your life path, et cetera, et cetera. Even the development circle I was in, we were in the same circle for four years, same people. I'm the only working medium out of that entire circle. They all went on to do different things, but they could still connect with spirit. It just wasn't part of their calling. It wasn't part of what they Mm -hmm. actually wanted to do. So first and foremost, anyone could learn the techniques and have experiences learning to connect mediumistically. I personally feel and I have studied mediumship since I was 14. I read all 42 of Sylvia Brown's books before I left high school. Like that's a you sign were in for it. one. <laughs> that's a sign. You for were one. in it. 
I wasn't, I've been in it my whole life. And this is how come like looking back at my story, I was like, these were all little markings from spirit. Like get curious about this, get curious about this, get curious about Mm -hmm. this. Right. And then another typical marking I've seen for um, people who will serve on behalf of the world of spirit is a overcoming addiction, overcoming abusive relationships, bankruptcy, chaotic relationships. It's like, I kind of have a a jokingly say the prerequisite to mediumship is a life well lived and a colorful life because all we can work with as a medium is our worldly references, the experiences that we've had, or else we're useless to spirit because we, they call upon our references to bring forward information. They're not saying to us, my name was Frank. I was born in 1952 they don't communicate like that. So mm-hmm. if I have like a Margaret in front of me, they'll show me like in my mind's eye, like my grandmother. So I'm like, okay, I know I'm working with your grandmother. I know I'm working with like a Margaret or a Mary. So they will actually show me my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's another typical marking I see for people who do successful in mediumship is life well lived, very colorful life, overcome a lot. Um, yeah. Interesting. If someone wants to connect in more to spirit, what are some ways that they can do that? I mean, I know that's a long list, but if they're specifically interested in developing their mediumship self. Yeah. So people are going to hate this answer (laughs) because the truth is it's meditation. It's, it's not meditation in the classical sense and mediumship. We call it sitting in the power. And so we're not really seeking. We're just learning how to sit with our own energy. So slow the mind enough, be present enough, follow the breath Mm -hmm. enough, learn to expand your aura out far and bring it back in to understand that energetic sovereignty to really get to know yourself, your energy, like the back of your hand. And then what happens is once you can kind of understand your own energy, you can then with ease discern another energy coming around you. That's very interesting. And I'm glad you described that more because yes, whenever I ask a client to meditate, they usually stare daggers at me. Um, I know that's come in, in, in mediumship, we call it sitting in the power and we called it that since the 1800s before power and the word got really misused and has all these different like energetic (laughs) energy around it. Right. Power Other other meanings that can get attributed to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what's one of the most fascinating things that you've learned from connecting with other mediums through your podcast? We all have the same fear. All of us. It's the exact same fear. The fear of getting it wrong. The fear of getting it wrong, of getting some information wrong and saying something that the sitter cannot place is a debilitating fear. Because as we are developing mediumship, the energy with with spirit in the spirit world is so subtle, you'd almost miss it. And it's not until you actually have a mediumship experience where you're like, that's it. I'm like, that's it. Right. And that was my first experience. I'm like, that's it. It was so easy. Yes, exactly. It's very subtle. It's very subtle. So for the first while, we're still proving to ourselves that we have something. And unfortunately, probably unlike the work you do, we need external validation (laughs) that we know what we're doing, right? It's like- No, therapists need it too. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Therapists have all the fears about totally screwing somebody up. Oh, I can, it's a big responsibility, right? And so you're dealing with people's heads. I'm dealing with their hearts. I'm like, (laughs) 
<laughs> it's scary. And so to get a no from somebody can knock you out of your power very quickly. It can make you question everything. And if you don't have a well-trained mindset, people will quit. And what does a no mean? Does a no mean that doesn't make sense to me? What does a no? Yes. So I'll give you okay. an example. Um, okay. So I, I have performance anxiety. Like I'm not a good tester. So it's like, I would do great in school, but you get me in a test. I totally flunk. And I have yeah. this woman come get a reading with me in town who I respected the pants off of. Like she was like a budding entrepreneur, you know, Squamish famous. And in the reading, I said to her, you know, I'm going to change it up a bit just for, uh, you know, sake of privacy. But I was like, yes. you know, I have like an uncle here. Um, and I know that this uncle passed of like cancer, but I feel like they had cancer before, but then they like still died of it. Like later on, she's like, no, no, didn't have, I'm like, okay. And the whole reading kind of flopped after that, because I didn't know back then it was like year one of being professional, how to kind of bounce back from that. No, it totally kind of crushed me. I'm like, okay, then I'm not like picking it up. I'm not getting it. And the reading yeah. ended up being a bit more psychic. Well, she invited me to her house a couple months later and her mom was there. She's like, Oh, you're the one who connected with my brother and validated everything that I brought through that she said no to. And it completely crushed me and I couldn't bounce back from that, but it all ended up being correct. But I didn't find out for months later. And I probably would have never had found out um, if I hadn't been there that night to have her validate that. You know, I'm really happy you got that validation experience. Yeah, because don't always know. Yeah, but sometimes it's like, yes, I got one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when it comes back. Yeah, I've definitely had experiences where I'm like, I, I don't know how I'm going to continue this session. I don't know where we're going. The person isn't interested in going anywhere deep or shallow. Yeah. <laughs> and what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. That's where I honed my ability to ask questions. Yeah. In those moments of what the fuck am I doing right now? <laughs> it can be hard. It can be hard. And again, that's why like mindset is so important. Um, this is something I teach my students is like, you have to learn to lead yourself. Like spirit is not going to come in and rescue you. It's all about you and it's an inside job. Mm. You got to clean it up, tidy it up. How do you talk to yourself? How do you lead yourself through regular day stuff? Because when you're in the vulnerability of sitting there as a, you know, transmitter for the world of spirit and trying to help somebody here and be of service, it's an emotional roller coaster. I'd never been insecure in my life, but mediumship really brought up a lot of my insecurities and really taught me how to be really vulnerable. It's a scary place to be in. And especially as you build a reputation and start to get a name, the pressure just up 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 right mm -hmm. yes because then you feel like you have to meet people's expectations oh yeah and be good all the time yeah yeah and it doesn't work yeah. like that it doesn't mm. mediumship is one of the most consistently inconsistent things um you can have four readings back to back two will be amazing two will be like i don't know what the hell just happened there but what you have to do as a reader is learn that even though you have these expectations and you think it went like this you can't base the reading off of your experience it's really for the sitter and it's based off their experience so one of the first things you kind of have to teach yourself as a medium is this isn't about me right? This isn't about me. Like you chose to be of service to the world of spirit and the people who are aligned to work with you, who they bring to you. And so if you continue to make it about you, you're going to continue to spiral. And if you can just say to yourself, this isn't about you, just be of service, just show up, be the tool mm -hmm. that spirit needs to bring through this healing. And more often than not, the readings that I felt I bombed, they've always rebooked. 
And they're always like, Oh, I love that last reading. I'm like, dang, okay. Okay. So I think like, you're like oh. I know we're so hard on ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. I'm really hard on myself. And one of the best pieces of advice I got from one of my mentors, like Danielle, you just gave me like $1,700 for these three months. And I'm going to give you no better advice than to tell you to line up. <laughs> and I so needed that advice. <laughs> You're like expensive advice, but apparently I'm going to listen more because I got skin in the game. Totally lighten yeah. up. And yeah. so for a year I had a project lighten up. Oh, that's a good project. It is project lighten up and try to like make mediumship fun again. So anytime I start to take it too seriously, I just like, I stopped doing professional readings for a while and I just like learned some new techniques and just go back to practice readings and like just trying things out to try to make it fun again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really smart. Yeah. To just be continuously connecting in with yourself in that new way. I'm totally down for that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, okay. So if someone wants to get a reading, which um, that means they're the sitter. Mm-hmm. using your lingo. So yes. what can somebody expect as a sitter? What should, are there questions they should prepare? Like what are they, what is expected of them and how do they be a good setter? Like I have all these questions. Right. No, this is a phenomenal question actually. Um, and I really appreciate it. So if you want to make the most out of your reading and you want to make it as easy as possible for the medium to connect, Um, you'll really want to start talking to your loved ones like a day or two before your session. Just talk about the, talk to the ones in heaven, like through your mind's voice, like just placing telepathic thoughts to them, or even say it out loud or writing them a letter, just saying, you know, I hope you can come through. This is what I'm hoping you bring through as evidence, like be flexible around it though. Cause again, the medium is only as good as their worldly references. They might not have a reference for whatever your code word is or whatever that is, but just mm. really start bringing the energy close, the spirit person close to you by thinking of them. So like today I was a sitter for my mentor, one of his students, and I just grabbed my my grandma's necklace and I was like, I hope you come through today. And she was the one who came through today, right? Because oh. I placed that thought to spirit and she, mm-hmm. she's only come through a couple of times um, in any readings. It's always my other grandmother that comes through. So mm-hmm. you can do a big solid for yourself. The world of spirit is by just placing the intention intention is everything. I hope you come through. I would love to get advice on this. I would love to hear this from you and then show up to the reading with an open heart and open mind. Because if you come thinking like, we're not mind readers, but we can pick up on that energy. I can pick mm-hmm. up in an energy as a reader. I can be like, I can tell just based off your energy, you want me to say something very specific, but if you keep thinking about it, I won't be able to get it. Like it muddles the energy for me. So I just need you to open your heart, open your mind, like just show up and like, ha- let's have some fun together. Let's see what we can bring through. But the tighter, more restrictive someone is in mm-hmm. what they want to hear and who they want to hear from it, the harder it is going to be for the medium to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love clients who come just saying, I don't know. I'm just curious. I'm like, perfect. This is going to be the best mm-hmm. energy for me to work in. Um, and then also at the reading, you really just want to give answers. Yes. No, I can't place that right now. You don't want to say, you know, as a reader, I say, well, even knows keep them with you. Cause it might make sense later. And it often does because you get uh, amnesia in readings. Like even I do. I'm like, I don't know. I have to ask my mom. <laughs> like, like, I can't remember if that's a real thing. 
It's like, I don't remember their birthday. And so there is going to be a lot that happens in a reading that will make sense later, or you might have to ask somebody else about. So just simply tell the medium, yes, no, I can't place that right now. Um, very honestly, but the worst thing for a medium is when a client just goes on and on. Like I've, I've had this happen where I'm like, I feel a man here. I know I died of lung cancer. I know I was in my sixties and I bring through a bit of personality. And she's like, yeah, that was my grandfather. He was from Montreal. He served in the army. I'm like, oh, blah, blah, blah. like <laughs> you've got to stop talking <laughs> because it throws <laughs> us off as mediums. We want to know nothing about our client before we connect with them or else we'll get in our mind and it will really muck up the communication. So just don't give the medium extra information at all. Okay. So it's not that you're being closed mouthed or that you're being gruff brisk or gruff. I like tried to combine a word there. Um, <laughs> it's just that you're allowing the medium to be in the energetic space they need to be in by keeping your answers short. Exactly. Because okay. also if you, if you talk too much of our power and like, we're actually not even really listening to you because we're focused on the world of spirit. Like we're just focused on the connection with them. We serve them in that moment. Right. And so we don't even really hear you because our energy is focused behind us. Um, so that's come just like, yes, no, just kind of makes sense. Okay. And then that is very, uh, it's a very simple thing to come through and reach you while you're trying to connect behind you. Yeah. But that. because we're healers, we're people pleasers, right? We want to make sure that the sitter is having a good experience too. And so it's like hard to not um, be influenced by the facial expressions or the, you know, mannerisms or the comments that the sitter makes. It can just like pull us out of our power. So a lot of mediums I know will only do phone readings for that reason, right? They're just mm. like, I just want to do phone readings. I don't want to see their age. I don't want to have any like, you know, <laughs> biases or judgments. I don't want to know if they're childbearing years or if they're younger or older. Um, they, it's just the purest connection, not seeing any facial reactions or anything. So in my readings, even though I do them by zoom face to face, I'm always looking away from the screen when I'm giving my information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's actually a really good thing. I think for people to be aware of that, it's not about your trying to distance yourself it's that you're trying to stay connected. Yeah. And especially a medium who is focused on evidential mediumship. Like if, like, again, we're still trying to prove this connection to ourselves. So we need to bring through evidence before we start bringing through messages or, you know, advice of any kind. And so mm -hmm. for the first bit of a reading, it's a bit awkward because we're just trying to bring through evidence. Like, do you know who this is? And once they say, yes, I know exactly who that is. We can move beyond that piece and just start flowing into, you know, different things that the spirit world has seen since they've passed and, you know, different milestones that they think that they've missed, but they've actually been very much a part of. And that's where like the real beauty of a reading starts to occur once that initial um, evidential part um, wraps up, right? Okay. You know exactly who this is. Perfect. And then we can relax a little bit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And then now you can get down to like the next layer exactly. of what's happening. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. I wanted to ask you, do you feel like most mediums are light workers or what is your perception of the connection between those two terms? Yeah, that's a really good question. I suppose so. I mean, I was a light worker even when I was just doing readings four hours a month, right? I was in uh, the corporate world um, and I was serving there too. I was, you know, just 
a light, just like trying to mm-hmm. see a different perspective of things and try to bring some, you know, joy into an otherwise kind of dank place. And so I felt like I was a light worker in that space as well in the corporate world. I did. I felt like I there was a definitely a need met there. I guess I've never thought about the whole terminology. I, I think light worker can cross anything from just somebody who just wants to share a bit of their light. Like the world mm-hmm. of spirit has shown me on the other side, we're literally just light. We're not male. We're not female. We don't identify in any of those ways. We recognize each other as little fragments of a bigger light. And so when I think of the term light worker, I just think of, you know, we're souls, we're spirits. We just want to share these spiritual beliefs and these spiritual energy and the spiritual insight. And so anyone who has an intention to make this world a brighter place, to make this place a more joyful place, I think is a light worker. And you don't have to have a shingle hung up to, to be that person. I love that answer. I absolutely love that answer. So you you used a term a couple times that I haven't used on my podcast. And whenever a new term comes up that I haven't, you know, introduced people to where a guest hasn't, I always want, you know, a new definition because maybe my listeners are only hearing you here the first time. I don't know. So you use the term sovereign a couple times. Can you go deeper into what you feel like the definition of that is, what it means? Sovereign is a feeling to me more than a word. Like when I Mm -hmm. hear and see the word sovereign, I sit up taller. My solar plexus is strong. I'm a badass bitch when I think of the word sovereign. I'm indigenous. So an indigenous lens sovereign is basically not controlled, right? We're not out of control. And so we have sovereignty over our lands. We have sovereignty over our spiritual practices. Nobody else can tell us what we can and cannot do anymore. Right. And so that to me from the indigenous lens is what sovereign feels like. It's very powerful. When I look Mm. at it from an energetic lens, why I use that word is because you have complete control over your energetic experience in this life. You are not a victim to anything. Right. And so I have felt that my Self. It's like you can choose to see, you know, expanding your aura out and being overwhelmed with the energy of other people. You have the sovereignty to bring your aura back in tight so that nothing can can come around you that can impact you or drain you, right? Sometimes I find your mind's going to drain you more than other people's energy. And so, like, this is a big part of my teaching, right? Yeah, it's like, I bet you you're exhausted. I'm like, that's probably your ticker going like, just thinking, 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 right? (laughs) So I use the word sovereign, because to me, it's one of the most powerful words you can use when you talk about self agency, right? It's like you have complete ownership over this experience that you're having, especially as an adult. Maybe we don't have that when we're kids and we're being raised and we're in the education system. We might not have that, but it's like grown ass people. I'm like, we got to, we got some choices to make, right? Mm-hmm. We got some choices to make. Yeah. And we are lucky that we live in a part of the world that we are sovereign to make those decisions. Yes. There is a lot of it here versus other places in the world. Definitely. hundred yeah. percent. But I, I invite people and this is part of, you know, different words carry a different vibration and they make you feel completely differently. My experience with the word sovereign is it makes me feel incredibly powerful. And so that's why I choose to use it. I love that. Thank you for deepening my understanding of that and 
you know, thank you for everything that you've said today. It was so fascinating to hear your perspective and your story. So thank you for being on the show. And if anyone is interested in connecting with you, can you again share your contact information and yeah. um, what you offer? Yeah, I mostly hang out on Instagram, um, Squamish Medium and squamishmedium.com. And I have an online school called Spirit School, um, My Spirit School. Com, and of course, my podcast spirit school right now, I'm waitlisted readings are about a year uh, waitlist right now, I will be starting to do some group stuff later this year, um, to try to serve more people at once, uh, mentorship application through my website, if people are interested in that, I also have a monthly membership for the developing light worker. So it's whether you're interested in like cards or angel cards or angel readings or spiritual coaching or mediumship development, it's a safe space to practice and develop in, um, which you can find more through my Instagram account as well. Well, thank you so much for being here and all of my listeners, my dear, go be amazing. Thanks for tuning in, Soul Sister. Do you want to hear from me more? Sign up for my Transforming Your Codependency text messages straight to your phone every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for inspiration and education. To sign up, text PEACE to 877 338-0875. To spread this message far and wide, screenshot listening to this podcast and share it on social media. Be sure to tag me. I love hearing how you're growing. Get amplified.